0: Good afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode fifty nine of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Amon Norman.
1: I'm Clarice Lockery,
0: and I'm Hannah Flint. This week, Clarice chats to Tom Pryor, star, co-writer, and co-producer of Cold War era romance Firebird. Nicholas Cage and Pedro Pascal live with the unbearable weight of massive talents, something everyone in this podcast is familiar with.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> It's so difficult. It's a pain every single day of my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in Tom Gormakin's meta-comedy, director Audrey Dewan takes an unflinching look at the reality of abortion in 1960s France. in Happening, and the kids are not all right in Laura Wondell's claustrophobic schooltime drama, Playground. And for our hot take this week, we are discussing the return of Thor, or should I say Thor's... Because we're discussing the trailer for Thor: Love and Thunder.
2: <laughs> I, totally Sorry, but I That do? was just so funny. It was just so funny because you were like, "We're gonna, we're gonna Thor, or should I say, Thors? Because we're gonna discuss Thor." <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I think they might him. have got that we're talking. Imagine we said that because we're gonna discuss Black Adam. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, oh dear. Gosh. Lots and lots to get into, but before we do, it's time to check in with the crew. How have we all been this week?
2: I've been in a lot of pain—not mentally, uh physically. Coming strong out the gate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I
2: restarted my gym membership because after doing my marathon, half marathon last October, I have not <laughs> done any exercise. Like, oh, I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be. I feel shit <laughs> like because I've been no. literally tied to my desk all the whole time so I'm like, look do your gym membership and I think I went in too hard I was like I did a core conditioning god this is so so lame but like basically <laughs> my whole body is aching because I did a core conditioning class and my core has not got that much conditioning <laughs>
3: <laughs> and,
2: yeah, so now it, like, literally hurts to, to... I'm going to try not to laugh a lot in this podcast because it hurts when I laugh. Oh, oh,
0: no. <laughs> you won't be able to help yourself, Hannah. I'm just too funny. I, I
3: mean,
1: somebody call the ambulance.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just imagined you... Just, sorry, you just made, reminded me of um <laughs> the Joker meme. It's like, you won't hmm. be able to... Uh, manage because i'm just too funny <laughs> yeah. oh that was a visual joke didn't really work on that. and i suffered the pain for it that's what happens
1: hannah be better no be, best. <laughs> be best
0: clarice how goes your game of thrones watch
1: oh i'm um i'm watching the battle of Blackwater at the moment that's what okay
0: right? at the end of season two
1: and in season two, they yeah. are sieging King's Landing. It's very yeah. dark. I can't really see anything.
0: <laughs> it's
1: very like what? What Would I you find say? Funny? It's very
0: dark, and the night is full of terrors.
1: She loves to say that.
3: That's <laughs> <laughs> <Batman's> such
1: a, <laughs> like I get it. You have a catchphrase. Like she's telling it to everybody at any opportunity, and it's a bit like chill the fuck out. It's <laughs> not it kind of like a like a
2: a blessing and a curse because you kind of like have that catchphrase and everyone loves it. But then every time like you walk down the street, <laughs> someone's going to go through, you like, the night is dark and full. What is it? The night is dark and full of terrorists. Yeah, terror. yeah. 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 That's I think it's like, you'd be like, yeah, I know it's actually <laughs> daytime. I'm doing my weekly shop. Please leave me alone. <laughs>
1: I'm just going to say, Melisandra is out here, girl bossing, gatekeeping, gaslighting. <laughs> <laughs> I respect the hustle.
0: She's got some skills for sure. Uh, yeah. I have been watching the NBA playoffs. Oh, the two greatest words in sports. Um, they have been so, so good uh, the first round uh, this year. Uh, with a number of really interesting storylines, amazing games. Uh, so, I haven't been getting much sleep because I've been up at like, you know, either stay or play or wake up at like 4 a.m. to watch certain games. But it's been wow. absolutely worth it. And, you know, thankfully, my, my Warriors, my favorite team to watch, Steph Curry, uh, they're killing it. That 3 and 0 in the first round. They just need to win one more and then they're through to the next round. Uh, There's so, nothing
2: yeah. I love more than a short basketball player who's sick <laughs> <laughs> because it's just like it's like you know obviously the game is reliant on, you know how you have the advantage but when you can be like just a short king and absolutely slow, it's like yes yeah. try and check me <laughs> try and get me i'll just three over you <laughs> i'll yeah. like cross over i'll run for your legs <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah no steph curry is the greatest shooter of all time i don't think anybody who knows basketball We'll dispute that. He is incredible. I was
2: never much of a three-point shooter back in the day. Back in my
0: day. <laughs> back in my day?
2: No, I don't think... I I mean, I didn't really do three. I think my my, my signature shot was a reverse hook shot.
0: Reverse hook shot? Yeah, that was
2: my, my damage. Clarice, we is, like,
1: still, Clarice like, like... is like smiling like, hmm, <laughs> words no are being said. <laughs> I have literally no idea what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> Anna, I'm going to let you train. I'm going to let you get back in shape. But when you're ready... We're balling. 101, me and you, look, let's
2: go. Uh, you know what's funny, man? <laughs> when I was at the gym, I had a look at how much a half court to rent it out. It's 42 quid. Let's go half. Let's I'll, go. See you the, I'll see you on the three point line. <laughs> let's
0: go. i I'll am down ready. down I'm ready. Clarice will come and film the whole thing. So we have video evidence. It's going to be amazing. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about some movies. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so let's kick off. Our movie chat with the trailer for Firebird.
3: Do you have a girl back home?
4: (laughs) No. Do you?
3: I
2: could show him around.
4: Afraid of this dream. Of waking up. Of losing him.
1: A report has been
3: received implying you have engaged in immoral conduct with the private. His name.
1: So yeah, that was Firebird. Uh, the film follows a young soldier, Sergei, who dreams of becoming an actor and is waiting for his military service to end. Set against the backdrop of an Air Force base in 1970s Estonia, Sergei's life is turned upside down when he meets Roman, an enigmatic ace fighter pilot newly assigned to the base. Driven by an undeniable attraction, the two must navigate the precarious line between love and friendship. This is based on the memoir of Sergei Fedusov, uh, who the filmmakers did meet uh, before his passing. And uh, we talk a little bit about that in the interview. <laughs> it's directed by Peter Raban and stars Tom Pryor, Oleg Zagrodny and Diana Posaskia. Uh, so I spoke to Tom Pryor. I think people listening, you will probably recognize him from Kingsman, the Secret Service. He was one of the recruits. Uh, he does mention it at one point because, mm-hmm. and you could go Google this, there's, they've talked about it in interviews, there was a stunt that went wrong on that film and the, a room filled up with water and they like couldn't get out. And it seems very stressful, but he seems to have a good sense of humor about it now. Uh, but yeah we we discussed a bunch of stuff uh, I find the story behind how this movie was made fascinating, so it was really great to chat to him about that and you can listen to it now so I uh, thank you so much for for coming to chat today and congratulations on this film i it's one of those movies that I can just tell that it that it's a passion project there is so much love in in every frame. And I wanted to start just by asking, I guess, I I found the story of how this got made really interesting, because from my understanding, before you came on board to the project, there was already a script there. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a a first draft, which Peter Rubain, uh, the director and my co-writer had, um, he'd begun writing. And actually, he then showed it to a film financer and a producer and actually it was that very film financer producer who I met just by accident in Los Angeles in 2014 and then I was engaged to play uh, Sergei to do two scenes um, sort of like two to a sort of industry standard um, to create a teaser as like a proof of concept to help raise the rest of the financing for the film. Peter hadn't directed a feature film before, and I hadn't been the lead in the film before. So we really wanted to basically try our working relationship and also prove that we could make something which was of a quality. Um, and actually, it was through that process that I started giving some feedback on how the dialogue could be improved in those two scenes. And Peter graciously accepted the, the you know, the um, recommendations or the suggestions and, and it was a really amazing collaborative uh, approach that then two weeks afterwards we discussed changes to the rest of the script and then we spent two and a half years rewriting, restructuring, redrafting, going to meet the real Sergei in Russia and getting to know him and and yeah that's really where we took the film in quite a different direction than it was when it sort of first started out
1: and I imagine meeting the person you're depicting on screen that must change your relationship to the character like in a million different ways right
4: yeah 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 I mean for me it it's interesting. I, I was asked earlier, actually, like if it affected more like the writing or more actually of the acting, if I kind of had to choose one. And I would actually say that overall it informed the acting even more so because of the quality of the way that I wanted to play Sergei. I was quite instinctive in that I wanted to play him. And I don't want to say like happy, but like more like upbeat and more like heart on his sleeve and more courageous than what one might expect in a, you know, dark Soviet um, conscription of, of kind of misery and violence. And so I kind of wanted to really sort of present this, this character of who's much more hopeful. And actually I was so pleasantly um, reassured actually that when we met Sergei that he really was that, actually in person, he had such a, a sunny and warm persona um and and really really was courageous uh, in following love, particularly in an environment which was not remotely conducive to it.
1: That's something I really loved about this movie is that you know I know as a film critic, there are constantly conversations about this idea of of like the tragic gay romance, and finding that balance in between being truthful to people's experiences like the one portrayed in this film you know but also finding room for joy which I think this film like does it does a really good job of of finding space for both and I wondered what sort of your approach in that aspect was
4: um well I mean for me and and I'm sure like for Peter like when we were writing it I mean he won't mind me saying, but like when I came to the script, Sergei was a little bit more like almost like sulky or a little bit more kind of like st- sort of stuck and the, it would have been a little bit more sort of stagnant. It, he was like much more because sort of almost blocked in, in the earlier drafts. And we kind of wanted to like sort of free him up because I was like, we, I feel like we've seen this so many times when uh, a a character can be very self-suffering and it ends up not being very accessible, um, rather something that's sort of more like active and, and sort of more more of our a sort of a, an adventure um, hero, as it were, going after you know their dreams as he does to go to to acting school and and going after love at all costs, and you know the the main adaptations that we made um, from the original story uh, actually was mainly around the character of Louisa. Um, she was portrayed as a, almost as like a formidable drunk, honestly, in, in the, the original story. And when meeting um, the real Sergei, we sort of registered that he did almost blame her quite a lot for how everything turned out. But we really wanted actually to be objective as the filmmakers to give her a voice as well. Because, you know, her, her tragedy is as equally as sad actually because of everything that happens. And she just wants to be loved like you know, like the boys just want to be loved. So that really was the kind of line that we had to walk about being truthful to his story. Um and also being objective as filmmakers. And, and you know, he he actually amazingly didn't give us really almost any stipulations on how we should make the film. He didn't say it has to be like this or you have to present me like that. But actually just said the, the one wish that he had was please make the story about love and not about politics.
1: I guess picking up on, on you mentioned the, the drama school aspect. Another thing I, I loved is, is the connection you made between the romance and Sergei's relationship with his art. Because there's this idea that, I, I felt like he had this perspective that he'd lost his chance with both. But now, you know, in this very oppressive space, you know, in the barracks, it's about trying to to like foster that that love and passion and art and all those things being connected. I mean, how did you see that relationship between, I guess, his love and his art?
4: Yeah, I mean, that's really cool to hear that you perceive that because that's absolutely what we intended to do. And sometimes <laughs> you kind of like, oh, well, this is our intention, but does it doesn't come through? So that's cool to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, in some ways, it's, it's absolutely a coming of age story. Um, and in other ways, it's really about following love at all costs. And it's, it's kind of really through meeting Ramon that Sergei gets like unlocked, unlocked to follow his heart and unlocked to follow his dreams, because they're, they're kind of there brewing in the background. But it, it, it's like when somebody, you know, magical or inspiring comes into your life, sometimes it can ignite something and and that's really the 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 two strands actually we wanted to keep in because you know while we were writing some people were like oh just make it up the love story the drama school thing doesn't matter and and the the backstory you know to to the 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 dream and the childhood loss as well um is in there but I felt it was very strong to have almost like more threads rather than less in terms of creating a dynamic and, and richer story and so you know the entanglement of like Shakespeare into it and and where our editor actually put it was not actually where it originally was so the to be or not to be almost comes like am I or am I not should I should I should I not about you know the relationship and and then sort of threading Shakespeare through and through um, the the film is actually entirely just just for a bit of context it was actually during uh, the Soviet Union in 1963 there were 300 different productions of Shakespeare going on and so actually Shakespeare was amazingly prolific actually during this period um, and and was was really celebrated actually in the Soviet Union so um, yeah and, and the real Sergei was a huge fan and he learned every single Shakespeare sonnet before even going to drama school.
1: I This is a thing I've always wondered <laughs> with actors because you know, you you went to dramas, you went to RADA. I'm sure you've probably done Hamlet at some point. Uh, but
4: sadly, in- not yet. But I you will. Not? okay,
1: one right. day <laughs> you will do Hamlet. It's your destiny, I'm sure. Uh, but I've always been interested in scenes where it's actors playing people who are acting, yeah. and like, how do you approach a scene with the layers of like, I'm not, I'm not performing as I would perform Hamlet. I'm performing as this character would do it.
4: Yeah, yeah. That that for me actually was an interesting thing. And and you know, working with with Peter, uh, because he's never directed Shakespeare. Um, and so that was interesting to go. Okay, I have to pull in my knowledge of where this is in the context of the play, but then also in the context of the film. And and yeah, there's a this sort of multifaceted layer, and there's a few moments where, so for example, when he's on the stage uh doing Hamlet um and there's this this amazing line um there is nothing either good or bad but thinking makes it so um for me is almost like a mantra for life but like in that moment like in the film where we have it it it's almost like I think as Sergei thinking as Hamlet this is about my relationship, and this is about how I can, you know, what I can do, and really how I move on from this heartbreak. And so, honestly, in some ways, it's kind of amazing to be able to play so many layers. It's kind of a bit like being a double agent and then having to play stakes and then having to, you know, the the, the, the layering of it I actually found fascinating. But yeah, you're right. It's also thinking about it, it's also quite surreal.
1: I love it and and kind of sticking with your career um I wondered if you could talk about that period right after you did Kingsman and Theory of Everything and did you feel a lot of pressure to capitalize on that initial success and sort of I guess like chase the blockbusters as opposed to making this decision that you made here to go actually no I I want to make something personal I want to say make something really meaningful
4: yeah, it was that, I mean, that really was a reality. You know, I did a, you're right, I did a 20th Century Fox film and I did a, a working title film back to back and i just come out of the West End and they were my first ever movie credits. And, you know, the team which I had, which surrounded me at the time was like, oh my God, you're going to be a star and like all of, the, <laughs> and all of that. And, and don't get me wrong, I'd love to do a Marvel film. Do you know what I mean? I'd love to do a, a sort of Jason Bourne or something right now. But at the same time, there is something so amazingly rewarding in doing a story like this and also being able to nurture it in such a way as well, not just playing a part, but actually crafting a part and, and you know leaving somebody's legacy. Like, this is not a film where, sure, like, I mean, Kingsman was an amazingly entertaining film and it was a lot of fun to make. And we did almost die making the film. And that's not a, a joke. But
1: I've read that, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm actually quite grateful that finally that came out because I think I was having to be quiet about that for quite a few years. But thankfully, Matthew Vaughan has, has talked about it, which is good. Um, um, so I would, I would, you know, I'd do a film like that again, 100%. But I would, because I love, like, you know, the, the kind of the playfulness and the lightness and the, and the kind of entertainment of, of a film such as that. Um I'd I I really it's actually regardless of the fact I'm in it, it's actually a real favorite film of mine. Um and then, you know, doing something like this where you're leaving a legacy and and you know, getting to meet the real person, the real life, like the the man behind the real life, you know, to the point of going to his funeral um when he passed away in 2017 was was an amazingly cathartic and and surreal moment for me to go. I realized the gravity of actually what I'd been presented with in life to go, okay, I'm going to be given this gift to play this man and his life and, and believe how he'll be remembered and, and venerate him. Um, so yeah, I would do both again for sure.
1: Yeah. Um. And I, I wonder when, did you always have uh, a desire to write or did that come out of, seeing this project you're know, meeting this project
4: uh the the desire to write actually came when I'd gone through acting school and hated it uh and so I left drama school not wanting to be an actor anymore and it was actually through writing that I rediscovered my love for acting again um which which was quite extraordinary it was quite a tumultuous journey going through drama school for me. And uh and yeah, I'm actually really grateful for that because it meant that I discovered writing and then the sort of the the sort of deeper level that it gave me then into into um acting again. And I sort of ended up loving it even more as a result, which was kind of curious. Oh
1: my god, I love that. Uh okay so I'm just kind of one more question. But I mean, the interesting thing with this film is that, you know, it always had contemporary relevance, obviously, but with everything that's happened since you made it, uh, having, getting protested at Russian screenings, getting threats on social media, obviously now what's happening on a a wider, more global scale. Um, I mean, how do you, how do you even begin to process that as an individual, like as an individual artist? I, I can't, I can't imagine the position that you're in right now.
4: It's been a lot, like, that's for sure. And I think also that life has moved at such a pace that it hasn't really almost kind of allowed me to even necessarily acknowledge it that much. Um, And sometimes I'm asking, you know, can this just slow down a little bit? But yeah, you know, can we getting off a plane? And and, um, when we're coming back from a film festival... Uh, in the US, and you know, our social media accounts have been attacked by, uh, you know, basically hate speech about the film and about uh, this is not a real type of a love, and you know, just like all these like horrendous like emojis and stuff all over our Firebird wall, and death threats sent to like myself and but to Peter and to Oleg, um, and and then you know the yeah the same sort of thing happens again to, again taking another flight. Um, recently it was actually the day that Russia invaded Ukraine and I like came off the plane and I started reading about what was happening and literally I don't mind admitting that like I literally just like cried because you know Oleg is there in Kiev and and um, that's the reality of, of the situation right now that you know people have said like you know why would I go and see a film that's about Russia right now and you're like this is the very story as you said which you know, which Russia wants to ban, and that was banned at the um, international Moscow Film Festival, or not banned, but silenced. And um, yeah, it, it's it's been a lot to to produce and to write and to to act, and then also be part of. I mean, Peter Reuben and myself literally created the distribution company uh, to distribute this film. We're now really grateful to be working with roadside attractions in the us they're an amazing distribution company but like for our uk distribution we have put together an amazing team of about 19 people who work around the world who have helped us bring this to theaters and um that's really been flying in the face of you know a pandemic and you know global like war threat situation which has made our film more relevant but has also meant that some people have gone like, you know, why would I go and see it? And we're like, this is this is the exact reason to go and see it. It's kind of almost just like by by supporting this film, you're, you know, you're supporting freedom and liberty and and more stories like this to be told when when, you know, a, a sizable amount of people in Russia have said LGBTQIA plus people don't exist. It's like astonishing. So so yeah it it's uh it's a lot um but it's also it's also incredible now that we're we're you know we're opening and cinemas um view um uh, cinemas and showcase cinemas and and we opened this friday and uh a lot of people have actually said to they they saw it or streamed it at home they were like uh oh it plays way more like stronger actually or or even stronger really cinematic experience actually having seen it in cinema which is really cool uh we had a really great um screening last night actually in a Q&A just outside London and uh people said that it plays so well in the theaters so um yeah we're kind of encouraging people to go as soon as possible because it opens on Friday and then, we don't know how long it'll be because the independent cinema scene has has been really challenged by the pandemic as, I, as I'm sure you probably are aware. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing to be able to go back to the cinema actually and see things again. See, even if it's like Batman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I feel like I, I can't add to that, but thank you. Thank you so much for making this film. Thank you for speaking to me today. And um, yeah, thank
3: you. Absolutely. What's the worry here, Nick? You've lost some of your talent as an actor. No.
0: <laughs> what did he say
3: he says he loves you but he went in a different direction i'm done
0: i'm quitting acting tell the trades it was a tremendous honor to be a part of storytelling and mythmaking.
3: ah oh, fuck man i'm driving through the hills i'm sorry one more
2: time We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's the easiest gig
3: ever. You play yourself.
4: What do we know about this guy anyway? Is he into something strange? It's not like he's gonna want you to suck his dick or fuck his wife or watch you watch him fuck his wife. I wouldn't think so. Welcome to Mallorca, Mr. Cage.
3: The guy that owns this house, what's his name?
0: Javi. Is Javi gonna want me to, uh... Play him Javi. Nick
1: Cage. It's Nicholas Fucking
3: Cage <laughs> It's
1: Nicholas Cage <laughs> <laughs> So the plot of Unbearable Way of Esperant is that actor Nicolas Cage begrudgingly accepts a $1 million offer to attend the birthday of a billionaire superfan. When things take a wild turn, Cage is forced to become a version of some of his most iconic and beloved characters in order to extricate his wife and daughter from the fan whom the CIA has informed him is a notorious arms dealer. Directed by Tom Gormacken, it stars Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal, uh, Sharon Hawken, Ike Barinholtz, Neil Patrick Harris, and Tiffany Haddish. So, we all love Nicolas Cage on this podcast, right? Yes. We're all fans. I think let's, let's start there with the, the it's been interesting because a lot of the negative reviews I've read of this movie have basically said this does not do justice to who Nicolas Cage is as an actor and his legacy and his work. Do you agree with that statement or do you disagree with that statement? Oh, you both had very big reactions to that, so I don't know who to start with. (laughs) (laughs) Amon, you can go first. Amon, go first. And then Hannah, I want your your side of it as well.
0: I completely disagree (laughs) with that statement. This, you know, Nicolas Cage contains multitudes and he's displayed a lot of those layers. All the way through his career. It's such an eclectic ride looking through his filmography. Uh, <laughs> there's just not many uh, actors today who can have a face-off uh, and a conair air on their CV as well as something like a pig. Um,
1: I should say the movie called Pig, not yeah. like
0: a literal pig. Yes. Thank you for clarifying police. Um I, I love... think
2: he probably had a pig at some point.
0: <laughs> he probably He did, did have a part.
2: dinosaur head skull. But he had to return it because it turned out it was stolen.
1: And he's got snakes. <laughs> he's got snakes and a pet crow, I believe. Yeah. 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 This Thank is you.
0: this is all new information to me and I love it. Um but uh yeah. And I love all of those movies and I feel like Throughout the unbearable weight of massive talent, we see some of those personas coming through in a really, really interesting way. In addition to Cage's real life and how that augments the storytelling here is really, really interesting. It's not often that you find an actor of Nicolas Cage's calibre who's so willing to, you know, have fun with himself and have fun with even the bad stuff in his life and putting that on screen in an interesting way and interrogating that in an interesting way. So I completely disagree with the statement that it doesn't do Nicolas Cage justice. I think it does him justice. And then some.
1: Hannah. Yeah.
2: I, I, I think in a way, this is the, this is the only way I'd want Nick Cage to do a like meta version of himself because as someone, I think, as an actor who has kind of, uh, you know what, like, let's be real, he's having a bit of a resurgence, but he has been mocked for, for a lot, a lot, a lot of his career, for his career choices as well, and also his private life. I feel like he's he's been fodder for people's derision as much as their praise. And it's only kind of recently, because everyone was mocking all this, you know, made for video, made, you know, video on demand stuff that he's doing. And yeah, some of it's really bad, but he's good in it. And he, he, what I like about Nicolas Cage is that. Uh, he never throws it in. He cares so much about it. And I, and I think, you know, having these films, you can say like Con Air and Face Off, well, they are the populist choices. This is a populist movie. Like, of course, they're going to kind of focus on those ones. And they're fun. And like, people love those films. They were very much like, they, 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 they're they part of the fabric of 90s cinema. Like, it was a part of that whole wave of those kind of like big blockbusters that literally made no sense, but high concept like act, that was that was what he's about. Yeah, sure, he did. You know, he's done Snake Eyes, obviously Bad Lieutenant, and that's his power that he can navigate. He can go in between. He can do Kick-Ass, He can do Ghost Rider. Like he he he's not a snob. He's like an equal opportunity filmmaker, mm-hmm. and. So in a way it's like I, I you know what what movies could they have done and also what movies could they got the right to there's all also that element of it like they show clips on things but they have to have permission from like studios to be able to show those clips we all know mm-hmm. what it took to get like star wars reference in a marvel film or something like that that's like a and they're the same company like disney
3: <laughs> um
2: but i suppose so i'm going on a tangent here but i like it because i think in a way there is i don't know actors are narcissistic and up themselves. And, you know, I think, again, because Nicolas Cage is not a self-conscious actor, he will happily look an idiot. He doesn't care what he looks like. And again, this is not Nicolas Cage. This is a version of Nicolas Cage that Mm -hmm. we've created who would have all these things. So, you know, we can say, oh, this is him being on screen, but no, he's like, he's like created a persona of him. Like that's, that's not him. That's not Nicolas Cage. This is a character inspired by in this world. So I love the fact that he doesn't mind himself looking that way and also being unsuccessful. And I wonder if it's kind of like, you know, maybe it's a weird comparison, but like when we watch Marry Me, what I thought was really quite endearing about that film was that Jennifer Lopez is play- playing herself. Um, there's a lot of truth to that. And there's a lot of courage in allowing yourself to play that sort of character because you are like, la- because she gets mocked a lot in that film. Like, the mm-hmm. character gets mocked a lot in the film. And I think there's something quite powerful about Nicolas Cage saying, I accept it, and maybe I'm not the perfect person, and I'm a bit of a dick, <laughs> and I'm pretentious in very many ways, but I care about it. Like, I care about the movie business, and I care about this, and I care about my family. So, there's so many different parts of it that feels like so multifaceted. So, the idea that this is like, basic uh offends me
0: <laughs> that is a great comparison by the way great shout with Naomi I think it worked I think it really works
1: oh thank you thank you me too I I really love the scene I think it's with his therapist where he talks about you know in any other job like doing a lot of movies like that's hard work and yes. it's good work and I love that because I I agree I think it it balances everything it sort of makes fun of his persona a little bit it talks about the wider ego of actors but it's also very yeah it really argues against the the memification of Cage well by showing him as like a human being who is a dad who like is trying to connect with his daughter and having this uh friendship with Javi uh Pedro Pascal's character uh, let's talk about him. <laughs> Isn't he great, everybody? I think he we might be doing anything. like an extra special, a Pedro special just don't, on his character. Don't say anything negative about him
2: ever. I will not, no, 100%. No, I meant I thought we were going to do that because that's how much we could say yes, positive I about know. him. I mean, I feel like you should, you should lead this,
1: Clarice. Me? Well, I think... Can try and limit it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the one thing I'm going to say is that my impression is that there's not been very many actors that nicholas cage has worked with where they are able to match the energy level on screen i would say willem defoe one of them pedro (laughs) most definitely another like have they ever been in a movie together nick cage and willem defoe yes they've been in two what a heart fantastic amazing movie also (laughs) the dog eat dog the paul schrader one Uh, but yeah, I feel like, uh, pleasure has never really done comedy before, but he seems like a very funny person and, uh, the way that they feed off each other, especially near the end of the film, where it does sort of resort to more action comedy, like a little more traditional, uh, it's purely like their, their energy together that pushes you through the final bit of that movie. I feel like.
0: I think. The film really rises and falls on that bromance and it really, really works because he just loves seeing them on screen together so much. And if that didn't work, then I feel like the elements where we're taking a trip through Nicolas Cage's career could have come off as just feeling lazy, you know, your you know, the film was all about that and you know, that sort of thing. But because the bromance is the best thing about this movie for me by a country mile. Um, then that just then, then then the whole trip through Nicolas Cage's career and the, the, the items that we see from his earlier films whatever, just enhances the story rather than being the story. And I love that. I will say um, you know as much as I liked it, my only niggles with this film come in that final bit because as ridiculous as the whole film is I did find it a little bit difficult to sustain my disbelief with the action-comedy elements of the final act. I think it goes a little too far. It gets a little bit too ridiculous. And I have questions about what happens to certain characters. Obviously, we're not going to get into it because this is not a spoiler special. Um, but, you know, the bromance is fantastic. And it's at this moment that I'm going to choose, especially because they just released this clip, so I feel like I'm okay in saying this. But the Paddington 2 moment in this film is one of my biggest laughs in this film. And it's at this moment that Clarice Lockery and Hannah Flint have something they'd like to tell you all with dear listeners. it is
2: not This is not a secret. I've tweeted about this many times. I'm not afraid about this. I don't care. You can cancel me if you want. I will lie. I, I, you, I, your booze feed me. I know what makes you cheer. <laughs> no, I, 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 when it comes to Paddington 2, yeah, I... I tried. I, I gave it ten minutes, and it just just grated on me. It's just this kind of very, I don't know. It's that it's the sort of twee Britishness that might from a time where maybe that was I don't know. Maybe it felt there's like a it's just not something I want now, and I can't. I don't. I don't know. I just. It just does not work for me. And I just both even with Paddington and Paddington too, I was like, gonna carry on with my life. I'm sorry. No, actually I'm not sorry.
1: It's it is what it is.
0: Clarice Lockley, what do you have to say for yourself?
1: Yeah, I also haven't seen it. I saw the first one, it's cute. I feel like I get the vibe. <laughs> but
2: can I also point out um who has who also hasn't seen the film, Clarice?
1: Oh, well, so this, I saw an interview hadn't that, seen it. that, yeah, Pedro Pascal had not seen it until he got this part and then he watched it. And you know what? He said it was great, but from his response, I don't think he was that enthused by it. Oh, <laughs> right. I, I, am, I
0: am researching this. <laughs> so, what in saying, so what you're saying is that
1: Pedro
2: Pascal would not have watched Paddington 2 unless it was required for him to watch it for the role.
1: Exactly. So he there we go. his entire life. Well, lives, that is a know.
0: fault of Pedro Pascal. Yes, can I, I can said I, it. Can
2: I just, can I just, uh, we we sped past, like, I didn't get to say anything on the Pedro acting though. Sorry, I, continue. It's all right, <laughs> it's all right. We were excited. We, it's such an excitable <laughs> review section, isn't it? We we <laughs> um, I said this about um, uh, Vigilante and Peacemaker, but I think it kind of applies and I wonder if this is like a new, I don't know, I I suppose it's that kind of, bro formula, but I feel like it's like watching BoJack and Mr. Peanut Butter because you've got like the kind of (laughs) (laughs) Nicolas Cage who's kind of like the faded, faded actor, right, which is what BoJack is, like, and he's like quite you know, not nihilistic, but he's also kind of just very narcissistic kind of arrogant, and also I love there's a scene in it where (laughs) where, uh, I don't know if they show it, but when, when Pedro um, comes to the poolside where Nicolas Cage is like drunk and
3: having a
2: beer and he's yeah. just like mm. just not talking at all he's such mm. a moody bitch <laughs> and like Pedro's there like really got he's there really excited and he's like kind of like a like a Labrador he's kind of like oh my god I want to I want attention from I'm um, his best friend I want to be his best friend it's like that sort of friendship which I think is quite lovely like how like you know you can deny it but they are best friends and it's because they're not exactly the same like he lightens the other person and he kind of you know brings the other they bring you at the best in each other in a way or remind each other of their humanity i think
1: i love that thank you for bringing up vigilante on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) i also feel
0: like it's worth saying like pedro pascal He's had some really good stuff on TV. I love The Mandalorian. I'm very excited about The Last of Us coming up very soon. He has not had the best of luck in films. Absolutely. This is not. by far his best film performance. And I hope that he gets to do yeah, it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Also, I wanna add, I mean, uh, whoever the costume designer wrote on this was, I should say stylist, because these outfits did not miss once <laughs> it like they looked so fly like i'm so happy because we're talking about pedro's films that he's been in they've not made him look good like do you remember what they did with him in wonder woman 1984 it's like how dare you
3: mm-hmm.
2: ruin him
3: pedro's good
0: him... but it could have been better <laughs> he's yeah <laughs> it could have been a lot better. um
2: but in this he's like they've they were like oh let's 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 make sure that he looks like he's doing a GQ hype cover <laughs> that's what i really appreciate it so does, yeah it was very GQ
1: cover i know what yeah. you mean when you say GQ men's styling casual but sharp
3: <laughs> yeah no it
2: was, it was, it was, it's it's very good i, I want to say i think my 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 issue with it maybe is i think Sharon horgan was miscast as his wife I just think I like Sharon Horgan a lot as a writer and I think she's very good in like the British type stuff and kind of comedies. but in this it just felt she's not really playing anything other than like slightly different versions of herself and I felt like it was like chalk and cheese with those two like I wanted to believe there has to be some belief that why they were together and had a kid together and I just never felt that they had any of that chemistry. You know, it's like, sometimes you have latent chemistry with someone you've split up with. But, like, you know, you at some point you love them. I never got that from those two. So it kind of was a bit...
1: She was written to be very, like, wife character. Yeah. Which I think for this sort of movie where everybody else got to be so weird, um, it, yeah, it, like, didn't... She didn't but, really get an opportunity, much of an opportunity. But I think I if guess. you had
2: someone like Leslie Mann in that role, she would have mm. nailed it. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think that has. I mean, maybe it's Leslie Mann is always kind of playing these kind of slightly neurotic <laughs> kind of characters. <laughs> so in a way, it's like you can kind of understand why she would be with this actor. She could do the kind of weird energy. Well, yeah, the weird energy, having, and Sharon yeah. Hogan doesn't have. She's a got right that like. Character. She's like an every woman. Yes she's a straight guy and I just feel like we don't need a pure straight guy in this because I don't think Nicolas Cage is at his most wacky actually it's Nicolas Cage's imaginary Nicolas Cage which is the most <laughs> wacky which was like uh, which was just such a good like that's the that's the weirdness that I wanted from this sort of film because people say oh it's, but that element of it was really fucking good I liked it it kind of kind of had that um, you know we talk about some of his films like Adaptation Charlie Kaufman one you get that a little bit of that Feel with that sort of um dynamic scenes there's <sighs> hallucination hallucinatory scenes which are great mm-hmm. also yeah. like there's a bit it where it's most and i'm so glad they did it when nick cage kisses himself it felt like that is
3: <laughs> just like
2: <laughs> I, I think that was my maybe my favorite moment because it just feels like this is exactly what he would do like the narcissistic side of him like You know, people say that people like there's a narcissist element that you you find yourself sometimes attracted to yourself. (laughs) Of course, this version of Nicholas Cage would be find himself like attractive.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Now, I think uh, similarly, whenever I look at myself in the mirror, yeah.
3: (laughs) Well, make sure you wipe it down.
1: (laughs) This is like Loki vibes. I love it. So that brings us to uh, screen, stream, or skip judgments. I feel like I'm pretty confident in everyone's answers. Uh, Hannah, what's your what's your pick? 100 percent
3: screen
1: alone.
0: Skip to the cinema to screen <laughs> this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now I I have not uh, laughed as hard as consistently at a movie in a long time. Um, this is the best comedy I've watched in a very, very long time. Absolute screen.
1: Yes. Screen from me and then also go home and watch Peacemaker. <laughs> yes. No,
0: go home and watch Paddington 2. A <laughs> no. masterpiece.
1: I'm going to never watch it just
2: out of spite now. Oh
0: my gosh.
2: I had, so- I've told you this, but like I had someone when I tweeted, like I think it was like one of those unpopular opinion things. I think it was like <laughs> Paddington 2 was trending at Christmas and I said, right. I just can't stand despair. And then like someone was, and I said, tweeted like at what I told you about, gave it 10 minutes. And this mm-hmm. guy like literally, <laughs> this reply guy went went mad at me. And then started <laughs> subtweeting me. And I was like, who is this dude? And then I swear to God, maybe two or three weeks later, I opened my DMs, opened my like, message requests because I do not follow this person. Uh, this is also I think so hilarious about social media. It's like sometimes people are like, you don't know me, dude. <laughs> anyway, he was like, he sent me a message asking me out. And it was like, mate, you've just like negged like massively like negged me. Said all this, and then you wanna ask me out? Anyway, the moral story, dear listeners, is don't fucking DM me asking me out after fucking attacking me for not liking Paddington too.
1: That Sounds cool man. like he should be dating Paddington if he likes Paddington. Yeah, him so exactly.
2: Much. Oh boy. Get some marmalade and why don't you sort just marry out. Paddington then
1: if you love Paddington so much <clears throat> Yeah. anyways you're just,
0: you're just blocking your blessings that's what I'm saying
1: <laughs> but can you not just accept that people just don't like it I'll watch it on my deathbed and then oh, that'll be the final thing that that will, that'll kill you babe i <laughs> will be like done you're like
3: ah.
2: no but what I'm saying is like, I understand that people there's loads of people who love it but can you not just accept that some people it just just does not work for them
0: I guess I will have to if I want to continue being on this podcast. In it, now Jamie. Okay. Of course, I can accept that. Okay, I, it just makes me sad. Is all.
2: Why though? Why? <laughs> There are so many movies out there. Why why is everyone so emotionally invested in Paddington Two? I don't get it. It's just a film. Because what I'm saying is, like, there are so many films out there. Like, why are people like? Why is this the hill that people want to die on for Paddington (laughs) Two? I don't get it. I don't get it. These are like it's especially when it's like serious people. Like it's like this is a child's movie. No, don't get me wrong. Children's movies are great, but like again there are plenty of films out there
1: it's film and our, our tastes are subjective like feel like this should have been the hot take for this week we made a mistake
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my villain origin story isn't it <laughs>
1: <laughs> Some because, people are trying to,
2: on my case out about, to kill Paddington. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why do you hate Paddington too? And then it suddenly it becomes like this whole thing. Then a Pizzagate scan was like Hannah. Actually, uh she watches weird Paddington porn. She did all just like weird stuff will come out. <laughs> and then I'll You're never work be the again. villain of
1: Paddington Three. What? To you. You're going to be the villain of Paddington 3. This would be like a person who just inexplicably doesn't like Paddington. Yeah, it'll be a the character called Fanny like... Hint. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should we. Do we want to have a review of film? Or do we want to yeah. talk more about Paddington? <laughs> okay, so, uh, well, the next movie we're going to do is like, could not be less like <laughs> a bearable weight of massive talent if it tried. So we're gonna to have to change the vibe, everyone. Switch gears. It's mm-hmm. happening. That's the name of the movie. Shit, <laughs> the movie <laughs> is called <laughs> Happening.
4: Mais qu'est-ce que t'as? T'es pas le comme tout? T'as pas nous faire une maladie maintenant?
3: Vous êtes enceinte, mademoiselle. Je suis désolé.
2: Yes, that was a trailer for Happening. Uh, happening sounds the. It's not the <laughs> happening. This is not a remake of M. Night Shyamalan's sci-fi from two thousand <laughs> mid. Was it two thousands? Was it Mark Wahlberg? The trees. Ah, but also very solid point about global warming. So I feel like we should re- should earn the reappla- reappraisal. Anyway, this is not about that, but it's actually pretty harrowing harrowing stuff. Oh God, we've gone from like this very upbeat film that we love. We've got two films coming up. Uh, (laughs) You might need a stiff drink uh, after watching or during. Anyway, so this one uh, uh, and both French language films as well. Um, So this is uh, set in 1963 France. It follows Anne, a young and talented student who gets pregnant um, and seeing her opportunities to finish her studies and excel, slipping away from her because uh, at the time abortion was illegal in France so as her final exams approach and her social life begins to fade Anne's pregnancy progresses and forcing her to confront the shame and pain um and just like the struggle of trying to get rid of this baby before it's too late for her to get past it because obviously there's a point where you know even I think it's like well, what's that what's the duration they say about Lots of, 12 weeks is the most isn't it when it comes to pregnancy, sometimes yeah. I don't know one thing I'm very one thing when I watch a movie like this I'm always very grateful that I've never been in a position where I've had to make a choice not to open, but I've, I've never been in that situation it makes me kind of like super vigilant and feel for people who are ever in a position where they do have to make that choice so Happening is directed by Audrey Dewan, a French-Lebanese filmmaker. Shout out, me and women behind the camera. Uh, mm-hmm. It's adapted from the autobiographical short story written by respected French author Annie Arnaud. Uh, uh, Audrey co-wrote it with Marcia Romano and Anne Barest, And it stars Anna-Marie Bertolome, Casey Mottet, klein Sandrine Bonner, Louise-Ori de and Louise Chevilot. Oh, did you hear me at the end there? It's yeah, very that French. was quite a nice pronunciation, wasn't it? Get <laughs> me, get me. Um, so, um, I suppose what I find found quite—I don't know about what when you guys are watching this. Just as this is obviously a drama film, but it felt like a thriller. Like when I was watching this, it—I felt more stressed than watching Uncut Gems. So I wonder, I, I wonder if you can talk a bit about like uh, what, how you've used the kind of the tone, the pacing, the kind of delivery, and 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 really, I suppose hitting hitting home the severity and the danger that is involved in this pe- like kind of in this period, which seems quite simple, but actually it was there were some serious um consequences if you get caught um Clarice I'd love to go to you first
1: I mean I think for me the, the genre would be horror um I mean that, that's maybe it's a personal thing uh this this idea of like it's like a body horror thing for me pregnancy so it made me think it made me think of like you know an alien covenant where she's trying to get the alien out it's this sort of i think this film captures so well and this is not something i see often in films about pregnancy abortion like the bodily feeling of like there is something inside of me and it is living and it is growing and when someone does not want that thing inside of them like that it is it's like alien you know it's 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 sheer sheer terror and panic yeah and and i think i loved this movie it terrified me i was like close to just like ripping my hair out near the end because of how tense and how scary it is and i think it's it's like a, a very brave film to make because sure i think we're getting to the point now where you know we can be more open about experiences of abortion and like the legal and like moral side of it but i think it's still quite hard to talk about like this way more intimate side of it which is the personal yeah as i said kind of body feeling of it and i just like i was really blown away by this i thought Hmm. it was amazing now let's hear the man's perspective
2: (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's about time we, you know, had, you know, a voice in this. Men never get to speak. When is it going to be men's time? That's what I want to know.
2: When is International Men's Abortion Day?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Now, I uh, concur. Um, I thought this film was fantastic. I think it really did a good job of putting you in uh, Anne's headspace in many different facets of the movie all geared towards that as well from the camera work to the sound design to the music um, all of it just you really felt how isolated she was as the film progressed and you know typically I'm not a fan of uh, you know having a countdown of sorts on screen uh, as a film is playing but in this film that just heightens everything because you see, first of all, two weeks coming up, then four weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, as it gets closer to 12 weeks, just heightening. It feels like there's a noose which is tightening and tightening and tightening the further the film progressed. And again, it really puts you in Anne's headspace as she just becomes more desperate. I thought it was really, really good.
2: Mm-hmm. I wonder, you said horror. I wonder if it's kind of like social horror in a kind of way, like get out. You know what I mean? And and I suppose what I think is quite sad is, is that... This is France, 1963. What is going on right now? <laughs> where it is illegal in states in the US to get abortions. Like they've had someone, uh, interestingly, had, they had a situation where a mother, uh, a woman came in with a miscarriage and she's now been, has been arrested um, and is b- been charged with uh, murder because the nurse reported that they actually don't believe it was a miscarriage. They They believe the woman intentionally tried to abort her child and like that thing where it's like there's (laughs) there's no trust like you can't even trust in the people who's taking care of you and it's like oh my god and then even in countries like the arab world where it's still frowned upon to have sex anywhere the idea of having people having illegal abortions everywhere and you're like this is happening now that's what's so Mm scary even more scary about
3: it
0: yeah i mean and it's not even you can't trust medical professionals but in this film as well Um, she can't even trust her friends, for the most part, to have her back for uh, a a good chunk of this movie. Um, And and I I would definitely sort of put this into the, you know, we're having more and more films about discussing abortions. In this way, this film differs from a film like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which is a film that I thought of a little bit while watching this. A big part of that movie is about that ride-or-die friendship in helping uh, her friend get the abortion, whereas this, um, you know, her friends for the most part abandon her, which again just heightens that feeling of isolation that Anne feels.
2: I, I, I wonder. You think Lisa, I think that speaks to um, the internalized <laughs> misogyny that women exist under. I mean, it's interesting the kind of the the cognitive dissonance of someone one of the female the one of the female characters who is very sexual like various sexual being talks about stuff but then when it comes to certain other things very conservative um and actually sometimes you know even our best friends and our mothers and women in our lives can be complicit in this kind of patriarchal control and these kind of very rigid parameters of what it is what is expected of women when it comes to sex and female desire and sexuality that actually I think it raises very good points about how that in a way the slut shaming and things like that has still happens today and then obviously in the 1960s even though that was coming through the summer of love and we we're having kind of more a bit more freedom there was very much still a kind of a hangover where actually sexual liberation um was only for certain people and actually a lot of people still frowned upon having that freedom and the results of that
1: yeah and i i agree with that and i think also this film's very good at discussing how people discuss things when you don't have the language for it because it's a part of the panic and the terror is that there's like yeah there's just no way to express that so it's a it's a purely internal terror because she is the combination of that she doesn't know who she can trust to talk about it and also she doesn't have the words for what's happening yeah and she kind of just keeps saying i'm getting rid of it i'm getting rid of it and it's like okay but does she understand like the process behind that yeah Yeah. um and i think yeah it's injury you know a big part of internal misogyny is just the shame of like when there's so much shame around something it's even her friends like they don't want to be complicit in it because you know there's a mention that if they help her they might also go to prison so it's it's just the way that i think misogyny just shuts it creates silence and that's really what this film is about i think it's quite a quiet movie Mm. because there are lots of moments of her alone just trying to tackle with this yeah yeah Uh, yeah. i that's what i think is quite powerful
2: about as well that it's not overwrought. It's it's not overly dramatic, but it is dramatic. by just the sheer, you know, the you can see in how, how she carries herself. It's like you can feel the I don't know, like the knots developing in her body because she's wound so tight. She can't focus on anything anymore. The kind of constantly the paranoia, just like all of that where it's what's not being said is so right. And that there's that there's a brilliant scene where she's talking to her lecturer. He seems to be like a bit right on it. And then you just like it's just like, oh God. You could see her just cry that beautiful I mean, this is what I'm saying. The acting in this is just phenomenal. Wow. I, I mean, I think yeah. having um uh uh Anna Maria Vartolome. I mean, she's just magnificent. Yeah. I she, and and I think you need someone like that who can, in, who can, who you want, you, you, even though she's, she's quite, um, I know I hate saying this kind of thing, but you know, we talk about like likable and unlikable, like she's not, she doesn't pander to, to people's needs or she, she's not a people pleaser type of person. And I love that fact that that's her character. And then she's like stuck in this thing and she's not trying to, I don't know, she's, she's falling apart, but she's really quite there's strength in her vulnerability but also her trying to just do it herself like her her certain if and things, trying to have this autonomy and that, that's what's the sad thing isn't it about it it's like she feels her autonomy is getting pulled away from her that's what i think the tragedy of this whole thing like what you lose what women lose um and what she's potentially going to lose she's either going to lose her life for a baby or she's going to lose her life for prison or she's going to lose her life because you're going to die. You know what I mean? It says so many of these variables that kind of feels like it's a very slim chance that she's going to get what she actually really wants.
0: <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was really yeah. well said. So I don't, I don't
1: really have anything to yeah. add on it. No yeah, notes. But,
0: but, <laughs> yeah. You reminded me of what I was saying about the sound design earlier. Um, because you're talking about how quiet this film is and the film is all the better for not being monologue heavy. Um, and there's certain things that they, that they could easily monologue about, but they choose not to. Um, and it's all the better for it. Like that. Some of the most harrowing scenes that I'm, that I could think of in this film, it's just silence. Well, no, it's, it's there's, there's not a lot of dialogue, but there's a, the sound design just makes it incredible. Like, There's a scene, and I'm not going to detail exactly what happens in it, but just um, what is going on with Anna-Marie Bartolome's face and the sound design of a utensil she is using, shall I say, just makes the entire scene that much more harrowing. Um, It's really, really impressive.
2: Great. Well, shall we do our uh, screen, stream, or skip? Amon?
1: Screen. Indeed. Clues? screen definitely although like it is it's a lot so i would maybe i don't know just maybe some cautions around it cuz it's quite i found it very difficult to watch obviously it
0: honest. is it is a lot
2: yeah i think 100% screen um but you know i think i mean sometimes we'll just say this is going to be tough if you've been through something like this or it might could trigger you so just be mindful um if you've maybe gone through a similar experience or know someone who has that could uh that could you know prove difficult to sit through because um I think in a way it needed to not be sanitized for people to really understand and get the message it's not it's, an, it's like an essential... It feels like an essential viewing experience. And I, in a way, I urge as many men to watch this movie as possible so they can understand. Because they never have to deal with this, ever. Ever. So, Mon, I want you to watch this every week for the rest of your life. No, I'm joking. Wow. I'm only joking, I'm only joking. But seriously,
3: maybe <laughs> once a year. <laughs>
2: Anyway, sorry, no, sorry, I'm getting a bit too light-hearted there. No, this is a very important film and I really want you to everyone to see it at least once. Really powerful. Um, okay, so we're sticking with the female filmmakers. Uh, except we're going for a Belgian filmmaker rather than French filmmaker this time. Uh, this is
0: Playground.
3: Allez, hop, hop tendu. Mon frère. Mais on ne change pas de table plein milieu du repas. Tu qu'on on ce soir, d'accord? C'est passé. J'ai même pas pu rester avec Abel.
0: It's a, for for oh. it's a hard knock life for kids. It's a hard knock life for kids.
2: Staticuses, kisses, we. <laughs> oui? Get bullied
0: in the playground. Returning to school after a break and much preferring to stay at home with her father, Nora soon becomes responsible for her older brother Abel, who is being tormented by the other kids. This puts Nora in a quandary. Should she tell the adults or remain silent out of solidarity with her brother? Eventually, she feels compelled to tell after a particularly shocking bout of bullying on her brother. But it backfires and just makes things worse leading to an eventual confrontation between Nora and Abel, which has a startling outcome. Dun, dun, dun. This is directed by Laura Wandell and it stars Maya Vanderbilt, Gunter Durrett, Kareem Leclou, and Laura Verlinden. Maybe enjoying this is the wrong word, but I was very very compelled uh, by Playground, uh, 30 minutes in, but I was unable to finish the movie for reasons. Um, but thankfully, a kid
1: Clar- came and took your laptop and was like,
0: fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> yes, yes, I got bullied uh, and I had to stand up to that. Uh, I had to stand up for myself. Um, but thankfully, Clovis and Hannah have finished the movie. Um, one of the things that was really impressing me about this film was the child actors. Um, you've seen the full film now. I haven't seen this startling outcome, which I just heard up in the synopsis. Um, but how do you feel uh, the acting uh, was, and especially in that you know very heated moment? How do you feel they did?
2: Um, so I suppose I should give a bit of context in that um, I saw this at L- London Film Festival, and uh, for the first Film Club podcast series I did, I interviewed Laura Wandel um, for it with a translator um, and. Um, I mean, let me just say, so I feel like I've got a lot of insider knowledge on how they managed to deliver this because it's working with children is hard, especially uh, children who aren't actors. And I have to say, it's just, they did a phenomenal job. You, you know, I think there is a sense of, uh, you know, one of the things they said is like, Dar- the Dardenne brothers were a massive influence on, 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 on her work. And there's like this authentic truth by having non-actors kind of come in and she would, I feel like this is going to be... I mean, maybe I'm a bit biased here, but I do love the film, but, like, I think hearing how they managed to achieve it just makes it even more impressive because what, rather than having a script to give the kids, it wasn't... They weren't scripted. It was like they would get the kids to draw out the scene together and they would work, work with them that way. So, say, look, this is what I want to happen with it. So, in a way, you're seeing quite truthful reactions to certain scenarios. And the fact that, you know, Maya, who plays Nora... Oh God, <laughs> just throughout, just this trembling, like you feel for her every time she looks over at her brother, every time she kind of gets like microaggressions against her in the playground, you know, when she's crying, she just wants the help or when her brother's like pushing her away, you just, it's like, I i, it, I wonder, she, you know, I know she, she obviously knows she's acting, but like, you know, they Laura as a director managed to get out these really truthful, authentic kind of, very visceral reactions from these children that made it really difficult to watch. And I, I mean, I don't, I think everyone who's seen this film has been triggered in a way and reminded of just how tough the playground was as a kid, how yeah. unrelenting it could be when you're bullied or when you're part, you're the new kid in school where you have to make friends. And like, for me, that's, I I was a new kid in school. My brother was a new kid in school. I, you know, I saw my brother getting kind of bullied and it's like really difficult to watch that, but also like, you know, not want to get also attacked as well. So it's like, it's just, it's so hard. And I think, you know, she's managed to like capture this like microcosm of like the world and what it's like when you have to be on your own outside the home for the first time, you don't have a security blanket. And I think it's just, yeah, it's just fucking harrowing. Sorry, Mm. I just, did you feel this Clarice? Like, were you not like extremely traumatized by this film?
1: No, I I think, I don't know. I think I had a a different experience of childhood. (laughs) Everyone um, loved
0: Clarice, she never got bullied at all.
1: No, I think I just, like, you got to talk to people to get bullied, right? <laughs> 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 right? I was fully in my own world for my childhood. Yeah. So I was I desperate to
2: part of I think something I, and hate being the outsider. Yeah. So it was always even See. worse when you got
1: knocked back. You're like, oh. So, yeah, I think if I was being bullied, I probably didn't notice, because uh, I was just vibing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I wish I was to school with you. <laughs> I would
0: have been your friend, Clarice. <laughs> no, you wouldn't
1: have. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but that's not to say, that's not a negative on the film. Like, I still think, um, yeah, i I think the performances... Uh, As as you said, like I didn't know any of that background information, but there is something so unforced about this movie and the way that it's for me. It's like the way that it flows because the camera work. It is child eye level the whole yeah. way through yes. so you have the adults like i love when yeah. the adults are like leaning into frame yeah. so you're so contained within that perspective yeah. it never loses sight of nora and it really like kind of drifts from scene to scene to scene and so it's just fully organic like the mm. whole film is even if i didn't particularly relate to the experience like I know that that like I could be like I recognize <laughs> that the the reality of this and how sharp that reality is
2: yeah and always always what I like about it is always capturing her reaction to every technical situation we're always seeing what she sees as in we're kind of it like it'll be like she'll be looking over and trying to see where her brother is and we'll see her reaction on her face and like this kind of anxiety building and and I mean they did that by having attaching cameras to the waist of the cameraman to make sure that it was always on her level um so it was like you're walking around with like a I don't know what what's it called um oh god a steady cam, but a steady cam is attached like like a belt to the front like right on your belly um and yeah it's like that what I that's what I like about it you're never not you're rarely ever away from what Nora is seeing so it always feels like a very um introspective kind of idea obviously you've not got a lot of dialogue but you always feel like you're you understand exactly what she's seeing and reacting to and going through
0: absolutely um as you know as <laughs> anybody who listens to the podcast knows at this point uh I'm a big fan of film scores this film has no score
2: that is brand new information <laughs> <laughs>
0: bombshells being dropped on the Fade to black podcast that's how i do it um (laughs) this film has no film score and i think it might actually be better for it um you know i I, i've i've finished uh this film as i as i mentioned is there any film score which comes up uh the latter part of the film i can't
2: remember but maybe yeah. that's, like, I wonder if that's, like, also, like, a, a Darden kind of influence of... Or, like, you know, the Dogma 95 crew who are, like, no artifice, nothing, that's not, like, Hollywood over... Although Lars one broke that a few times. Um, hmm. But I I, I I don't remember... No, the
1: I'm music. pretty sure there's
0: no yeah. score. And that just enhances everything, like, right? puts you even more in the headspace of those kids especially when they're on the playground they have all those sounds coming through
2: yeah because obviously I, you know don't get me wrong i do like a score but i sometimes prefer without one because i often i feel like sometimes film scores are used to a certain point where it's trying to tell me how i'm supposed to feel in a situation um i don't need that guidance all the time i think sometimes just to let scenes sit in the reality and the truth of the situation especially in a film like this which, which is about getting real reactions that a score would I mean what score would you have <laughs> do you know what I mean it feels like it is it, it, totally unnecessary because in a way what you're having is you're getting you know I think the real sounds of that I mean you walk past any playground like the shouts and screams and kids chattering and stuff like that that's the soundtrack isn't it right it's like from a distance it sounds like so much fun but really what's happening there is fucking hell <laughs> for a lot of people you know um uh, so so yeah maybe um, that's kind of my 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 uh take on the no soundtrack no score
0: bit there. <laughs> there it is uh and on that note it's time for our screen stream or skip or recommendations uh this film was only 68 minutes long as well which i mentioned
2: can i just uh, say something it's 68 minutes long you still didn't finish it <laughs>
0: believe me i wanted to i was i was as i was trying to tell you before the podcast started i was really compelled by it it was going well i had to step away to do a thing and the thing ended up taking a lot longer than it should have for (laughs) reasons which i don't even want to bother listeners with i'll tell hannah and his his window was
1: open his window was open a bird flew in the bird i told you that in
0: confidence clarice my gosh
1: flew away with it. <laughs> it's a very reasonable explanation, actually, I think.
0: Luckily, no bird escapes from one woman, and I chased it down with vigor. Um, but anyway. This is a bizarre podcast. We're
2: coming out with some really weird stuff today. I love it. We're, uh, we're basically going full cage. <laughs> I'm on. Fuck <laughs> it, anyway. Both Sounds guys are missing convention. the key bit in it where he's like, "Nick fucking
3: <laughs> <Anne> <laughs> Cage."
2: He like has that little bit at the end where it's like a, like a, like an extra exertion
3: of it. Yeah. Anyway, there you go.
2: you're right. You are right. Let's do it. We go. That's what they should start soon. There's gonna be a weird comp to position. It's like who can do the Nicholas fucking Cage challenge? That should be the new <laughs> challenge. Social media TikTok challenge. Yes
0: yes it should but anyway 5,000 years ago we were about to do our stream <laughs> skip four screen 84 <laughs> years recommendations on Playground Hannah screen
2: actually do it as a double bill it's only 68 minute guys do a triple bill it's actually also another weekend of great cinema this
0: is very true this is very true would you start with well first of all Clarice
1: I screen but I don't I wouldn't do a double bill. That's really stressful.
0: <laughs> well, this is okay. How, how would you do this then? You got a really funny comedy with the unbearable weight, massive talent. You got two hiring films. Do you start with the two hiring films and then end with the comedy? Do you do hiring film, no. comedy, hiring film? How would you do it?
1: Cause you can't do, ha- I would not do happening and playground back to back. Cause that's too much. You do I playground. Go, oh no, I got happening. Would you? Happening. Unbearable. Playground. It's shorter. So you just... It's so it's less, a bit less. Mu-
3: yeah, yeah bit I mean, that less. makes
2: sense. That makes sense.
3: Okay.
2: Or maybe do it over two days and just see unbearable uh, weight of Massive Talent twice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or also, like, it's probably going to still be out next week, so... Yeah. <laughs> just see them.
0: All of them on screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, there you have it, or, people. You got options. You got actions.
1: Really consequences. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm threatening the list as
3: mm. well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm taking a sadistic pleasure in the fact that every time Hannah laughs, she's probably in pain. <laughs> me,
2: but I'm like, I, I'm doing, um, I'm doing like tighty breathing things as well. Oh, so I'm just using so the pain. And be like,
1: you know, like, who is it? It's like you can just center the pain, so I don't feel anything. Let's oh my see. god! You're like the Tyler Ren in The Force Awakens. You know he's in that lightsaber duel, and he like smacks his wounds. You know who
2: I was thinking of? <laughs> I was thinking of um, actually um, a character from like I think I've I can't remember what movie it was, but like, or well, maybe it's um, maybe it's Shang Chi from the comics where he just doesn't feel pain. Like, do you know what I mean? Actually, in the movie, there's that whole scene where it's like you fight through it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can take a lot, of, take a beat and actually recenter that pain. That's that's exactly what I'm doing now.
0: What we're saying is that Hannah would pass the gumja bar with flying colours. Um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I bruise like a peach.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but enough June chat, enough harrowing film chat. It's time for our Hot, hot Take. ha Take, ha
2: Take, ha <laughs> Take, Hot
0: Take. I cannot wait to Clarice put her own, you know, flourish on the Hot Take uh, song. It's going to be it's gonna be epic. When it happens, I don't know what it is yet. When don't it happens, put pressure it's going it. to be epic. It has
1: to just come, naturally. Someone has to keep the flame going of the original <laughs> version.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well actually wasn't the original version
0: was that Euclid yeah isn't that what
2: it is isn't it oh, s- yeah, yeah. S- uh, that was the it original
0: was. version it was it's evolved second like version. Pokemon
2: we're like on the second
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're gonna be the very best oh, God, God, no part now. ever was <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 ba, do, ba, do, to catch them the real
2: test
3: <laughs> to train them as my cause ba ba ba
0: I will travel across the, the land,
3: land searching, searching far and wide. I understand, I understand,
0: I understand, but it's man to, to understand the power that's inside. Pokémon. Okay, so.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Woo! Oh my gosh, what a song! Anyway, well, he's
1: just like looking at
3: us. Like, <laughs> like all of these guys aren't okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: I've been on a caffeine high for about uh, right until now. I think the caffeine's training. out of me. You're on the calm down now. I'm on the oh calm gosh. down. Okay. Anyway,
0: Thor, colon, Love and Thunder. Uh, the first trailer for uh, Taika Waititi's new film uh, was released on Easter Monday. It was a weird day to release it, but I'll take it. And... Let's not beat around the bush here. The big visual, the thing that had the internet talking uh, not always with sense was Jane Foster with Mjolnir in her hand. Very, very cool. Of course, we should mention that this uh, film, uh, the Jason Aaron run of comics, they're taking a lot of inspiration from them. That is where we got the Jane as Thor storyline. Jaina's mighty thought we should say. Uh, so what did we think of that visual in particular? Let's start with that. And Clarice, given that, you know, I've heard that you like a couple of Taika's films, I'm gonna start with you.
1: Yeah, he's alright. I guess. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh yeah, guys, um oh, I'm so hyped. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say the thing that everyone's talking about, business meek.
3: <laughs>
1: because Right, you guys could talk about Mighty Thor. I want to talk about Business Meek because he did like a live. There was some sort of Instagram live where he was watching Thor Ragnarok, and he did a fake thing there. He was looking at a fake script, but they had concept. He had concept art out of Meek. <laughs> we all know Meek, right? Wearing like a. Oh, beautiful I thought you were saying
2: Business Meek, and I was like, Oh no, Business <laughs> Meek. she a Ray Bill.
1: Like no business. Like Meek is Meek, in business. Meek
2: business meek business
1: meek oh okay I like can a suit uh, yeah like wearing with a, with, a, with a briefcase yeah yeah exactly like it was meek but in a beautiful like women's suit with the skirt and the power shoulders like kind of 80s late 80s early so 90s so is, is meek non-binary i don't know i don't know i don't know what gender maybe that species doesn't have gender i don't yeah. know But then that kind of works if Meek
2: is in new Asgard. And because we saw Valkyrie looking business... Well, you see, miss, this
3: is
1: the thing. That shot of Valkyrie in the power suit, right hand of the frame, is fucking Business Week.
3: <laughs> business I Week, is in the movie?
1: <laughs> I'm so excited because I thought it was a joke. I thought he was joking when he showed us. I thought it was a joke. joke. I wrote it in my it diary and <laughs> I laughed about it, it <laughs> <laughs> It's not a joke. Business <laughs> Week is real. Okay, now you can talk about Natalie Portman. <laughs> I mean like
2: fucking hell, yeah, please give me those arms. Gimme <laughs> let me crack and those arms. But I'm always, I'm interested though I, I suppose what I'm interested about is who which version who is this are they gonna do it as it's part of a multiverse thing where this now is it is it is it his world's Jane Foster or is it something where the multiverse is broken? and she's come through because I think that's become now the precedent for a lot of people coming in where they can come and go because I think in the in the comic book version of this Jane Foster she she's she's she has cancer right and actually so so she becomes worthy when she has cancer but every time she becomes the mighty Thor she gets weaker like but she's alive but every time she transforms into it she gets weaker and then there's this whole kind of thing with like I mean, Odin's gone now, as is Freya, so we're not going to have that kind of weird royal court politics thing there, but I'm interested to know like how that's going to play
0: out. Yeah. I don't think it's multiverse Jane, and I wouldn't want her to be, uh, because if that is the case, then I feel like you lose some of the history between uh, Thor and Jane that we've gotten in this universe, and I expect them to play off on that and play on that during the course of the film. I think that will only enhance that storyline, because, you know, I'm sure Thor, I'm sure that Chris Hemsworth Thor is shocked that uh, there's another who is wielding his power. Not only that, but the hammer that was broken has been remade, has been reforged. Um, And that will be sort of shocking and interesting to see as well. Um, And yeah, I like that this, uh, you know, this trailer was more sort of, you know, focused on the vibes and the tone of the film rather than giving us any big reveals apart from the Natalie Portman sword. Like, we haven't even seen any and shots. And
1: business meek. <laughs> and business meek. And business. Business meek time. Business. Business
0: business <laughs> we, <haven't, meek> <laughs> we haven't even seen um, any Bell. shot Any shot of Christian Bell's Gore the God Butcher. I'm very intrigued to see what they're going to do with that because in the comments that we're referencing, he is a really, you know, fantastic villain. Like, he is not one... To mess with, <laughs> in many respects, um, we actually see a glimpse of a fallen god, which is most who has most likely been slain by Gore in the trailer. Uh, so yeah, speaking of that, we should mention that we get our first glimpse of Russell Crowe as Zeus in this trailer. Did we? Uh, I mean, Did we I saw. That? It's. Yeah. It, we, we, I was.
2: We can I just say, when the per- thing was dropped, it was my anniversary, and I was like. <laughs> And uh, stop everything. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and actually, we were walking. I was like, I was. We were having dinner. And I was like, oh, I just want to watch this. And then my boyfriend got idea And then we went to a park and we sat down and watched it together. <laughs> and I was watching it on my phone, so I couldn't really see it properly. And then we went to see Jerusalem, so um, I should have rewatched it afterwards. But Russell Crowe, eh? He's a good. He'd make a good Zeus.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I even that I I can't wait for that Russell Crowe Thor interaction to thunder-wielding gods. They have so much to talk about. It's going to be so much fun. Um, <laughs> two thunder-wielding gods, both of whom are Australian, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lots to talk about. Um, but yeah, the, the little glimpses that we got in this trailer, it feels like Thor's being more introspective. Uh, you know, He's uh, buried Stormbreaker. I'm sure he's going to call upon it <laughs> at some point within the film. He's not going to stop stay buried. But the fact that he is trying to turn over Luli from trying to find himself while leaving all the governing of Asgard to a very depressed-looking Valkyrie, um, I think is very, very interesting.
2: But this so. is why I've loved Thor as a character, as a character in the arc of his journey, even though there's obviously been some misses, but I've mm-hmm. always felt... Um, and again, it goes back to that kind of like himbo thing of, yeah, he's this god, he's an Adonis, like proper god, but there's... Um, he's just just been through overwhelming tragedy and isn't really afraid to talk about those emotions. He doesn't really bottle things up. He actually struggles to bottle things up. So many times, like, he's, like, he's, he's, he's it's kind of like this hiding behind his like, overt masculinity. And then he kind of, you know, he loves his brother. He wants his dad's approval. He adores his mother. Like, he, you know, he's got this bravado, but fundamentally it makes him sad when he's fighting these things. It, he... And and I think as uh, the break how he's broken down and kind of you know I think Endgame I really thought apart from you know some of the fat phobic elements of the mm-hmm. jokes and stuff it was when he sees his mother that's like one of the most pivotal <laughs> moments for him as a character where you feel like oh God he's been through so much and he just feels sad and sometimes you know people do gain weight when they're sad and I understand that but it's a bit too many jokes afterwards and i like mm-hmm. the fact that he didn't you know automatically lose weight he still fought as himself and that mm-hmm. obviously they've established in this that he's back in the gym he's back on the routine mm-hmm. i did think it's quite funny how they are doing the battle ropes but he's using <laughs> <Yeah>. massive chains <laughs> yeah. and anyone's done battle ropes in a gym That was quite a little funny mm-hmm. funny scene but mm-hmm. i've always thought like him as a character um i found him the most because he's he's probably the most insecure superhero out of the avengers
0: Yes, I agree, but Khalees is probably going to hate what I'm about to say, but it's time for me to be a little bit critical of Taika YTT because I completely agree with what you're saying about Sorry, Thor. we're losing
2: you, Amon. Oh, Amon's... <laughs> oh, sorry, listeners, Amon has weirdly left the chat. <laughs>
1: We're so interested in
2: what he ends. Oh,
1: we'll get it next time. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. This movie no, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. At pace. your peril. <laughs> no, please, please. Go I ahead.
0: completely agree with what you were saying, Hannah, about Thor there. Um, but a lot of those elements, for me, they weren't in Thor Ragnarok. They were backloaded to Infinity War and Endgame in terms of Thor talking about his feelings and really getting out there. I enjoyed Ragnarok in the moment. And it's still a film that I enjoy rewatching today, but the best films in the MCU for me and superhero films in general are the ones which have a nice balance of emotional tone throughout. And I feel like in Thor Ragnarok, that balance was off to me. There are a number of intense things that happened to Thor in that movie. And sometimes I was just like, it's, it's okay to let a serious moment be a serious moment when asgard is destroyed in that film that should be a serious moment within three seconds of asgard being destroyed jokes are being cracked that's annoying to me <laughs> bull loses the warriors three in that movie he loses odin in that movie that that moment is done is done pretty well in fairness he loses a lot of stuff in that movie but the the the, the the thing that I have the biggest reaction to in terms of what Thor loses in that movie is when Mjolnir is destroyed that should not be the case given everything that happens in that movie and I feel like it's entertaining
2: because Mjolnir he believes that his whole whole world view is based on being worthy enough to carry this and having the power of Thor and without it it's like when you break that you break him he sees it as a synonymous past and
0: extension of himself I completely, agree, I completely agree with everything of that I, I completely agree with everything you just said, and that is the reason why I had an emotional reaction to it. All I'm saying is that Asgard, Odin, Warriors Three should supersede my emotional reaction to losing Mjolnir, as bad as that is. But because the film is entertaining and it's funny, and I get that, and it's, I enjoyed it in the moment, especially, I just want there to be a better balance of the serious moments and the funny moments, and just have both sides of that land as hard as possible i didn't feel like i got that with ragnarok so yeah that's it that's all i'm gonna
1: say i'm just gonna say some of us deal with our trauma through humor yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i feel like thor ragnarok is the movie for those people Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> i, I don't think any i don't think it's like not sad but it's and this is true of like every Taika ATT movie it's it's all about and I can understand the criticism because you've just said that Thor is somebody who talks a lot about his emotions but I think fundamentally as a filmmaker he makes movies about about men who can't talk about their feelings (laughs) and do and it's about the like insecurity of masculinity because like men are so uh, caged in by expectation which i think for me that's thor ragnarok is just like that's another chapter of the long-running saga yeah, I,
0: I, guess, <laughs> I guess for me i want thor ragnarok to have i guess you know the funny moments that it does but also have room for a serious scene like what we get in infinity war when thor talks to rocket um when they're on the way to never Nib- to never Nib- Delir and talks to rocket about everything that he's lost I don't feel like we could get enough of that type of scene in a Taika movie. And I feel like if we do, that makes the movie as a whole much better.
1: More serious conversations with raccoons. Yes. <laughs> Why the hell not? <laughs> gotta, we got to have more serious conversations.
0: But seriously, that to me animals. is like a top I, I, two, four scene in the MCU,
1: period.
3: That's I, how good that scene
1: is. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember that scene. <laughs> at but all. I also think Sorry. coming off the back of the dark
2: world. Yeah. Which was just like had well, no this... idea what it wanted to be. Yeah, it's not great. I appreciate that you might not like um and actually I think Thor the original and I saw this tweet the other day that tried to like try to compare like Thor and Thor Ragnarok so why can't it be so it's like I mean, I love Thor. The original Thor is actually it's really good. for a very long time. It was my favorite. It's really um, good. I mean, look, it's Kenneth Branagh, the man knows how to do, you know, he's a fucking Shakespeare <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> legend. And this is a Shakespearean level uh, family royal saga. But I think I appreciate that when Taika came in, he put a clear stamp on it and said, this is what this world's going to be. And I appreciate it because I felt like I could trust that. Like, I I felt like I can, I know, I I get it. And I like the sensibilities of this filmmaker. And I think it's a nice marriage. And for everything you said, Clarice, about like he focuses on masculinity and all that. And and, and for me, that's why he's so perfectly suited to making Thor, because it's about deconstructing that. I think he does that a lot and so yeah maybe maybe there were but then you know that's why you have that's why you have this web narrative where you can have the you know Russo brothers delivering that sort of thing um and you know, who knows we haven't seen this one as you said it's quite it could be quite introspective it did remind me a little bit that that running scene did remind me they'd knocked out of Captain Marvel <laughs> No, where she's like yeah. growing up, oh, where mm-hmm. she's, yeah, yeah, um, but I'm excited to, to see it, and also what you said earlier about you hope it's not another multiverse Jane, yeah, because they've already got multiverse Gamora, and that's enough because <laughs> it's not the uh thingy one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh, so yeah, we've yeah. got to deal with that, um, um, but I'm you know, I love me some Thor, love of that, and also I just love how 80s it looks,
3: yeah, <laughs> Even and it thing.
1: seems very bisexual, and I support that, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, the 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 idea of Thor and Jane as Mighty Thor, with hammers in their with with hammers in their hands and lightning in their veins, taking down all comers together at the same time. I want to see that, and I'd like to see that immediately. Uh, so so yes, yeah. Very excited. I want the
2: porn parody because this shit is hot. <laughs>
0: And on that glorious note, it's time to wrap up. You're like, Hannah hasn't been horny enough in this
2: episode. <laughs> <laughs> we need at least wait. one thing. you to wait for it. Wait for it.
0: <laughs> we waited and you delivered and we are thankful. Good <laughs> things come to those. Wait. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in and happy viewing by whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate and leave us a review if you love the podcast. We It really does make a difference. So hit me up with that five-star love. And tweet us at BetaBlackPod if you have something you'd love us to shout out next week. And you can also follow us. I am at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Hannah Flint on Twitter
2: and at Hannah Ines Flint on Instagram.
1: I'm at Clarice Liu on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. Uh, s- send me Pedro Pascal memes, please.
3: Thank you. <laughs>
0: bye. <Goodbye. laughs> Farewell film friends, it's time to fade to black.